so today we're going to be talking about Genesis 3. And this chapter, I think, is pretty ominous because it comes after this picture of God that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. So in these first two chapters of the Bible, we see that God is bountiful, generous, hearted as he orders and crafts creation all for us. Yet um, then we see in Genesis 3 that Eve is viewing God in this sinister way, starting to doubt God's character because of the serpent. And I think this goes back to that classic doubt that began with the serpent tempting Eve. Did God actually say dot, dot, dot? And basically, it's the question of doubt. Did God really mean that? And next, of course, um, the, move, the next move is, no, he didn't really mean that. He didn't really say that. He was actually lying. You'll be fine if you ignore his commandments. So I think what's so relatable about the serpent's temptation of Eve is that pattern of casting doubt on God's word, um, the same way that Satan tempts us today. Eve fell into temptation and sinned against God because she believed a lie about God's character. And this passage really hits home for me how essential it is for each of us to know God's word, to really know what he actually said, and then also to trust in him and his words. Because there's not much for us to doubt when it comes to intellectual arguments for Christianity or for God. What it comes down to is doubt about God's character and his goodness. When we doubt God is good, we start to feel like we need to fend, fend for ourselves and start to become greedy or selfish, hoarding material goods and money for ourselves. It's when we doubt that God is for us that we start transgressing God's commands in order to get what we want. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I looked up this word crafty because the serpent is described as being more crafty than any other beast of the field. And so um, another meaning is shrewd, but it also has a meaning of sensible or subtle, which I thought was really interesting that the serpent has a sensible and subtle way of approaching what God said. Mm -hmm. And this is how he gets Eve. Uh, by going at God's words and what he said. And notice that the serpent quickly turns the conversation away from what God commands to the consequences of going against those commands. Right? He begins by asking, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But he doesn't continue talking about what God said. That's not what the argument is about. Mm. He latches on to the consequences and says, you shall not surely die. Right? So uh, the serpent turns the focus away from God's authority and God's command to more practical matters. And I think in, in that way, he's subtle or sensible. And this is the first move towards sin, to focus not on what God commanded pretty clearly in scripture to the consequences and, you know, and maybe even benefits of going against those commands. Uh, for Christians, the conversation should really stop at, well, this is what God said, you know, take up your cross and deny yourselves and follow follow me. Or that's what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. Make disciples of all nations, you know, arrange your life around the mission of making disciples. Okay, that's pretty clear. That's what, that's what God's commanded. Instead, we find wiggle room by turning away from God's commands to, well, if I don't do that, will it be so bad? What will happen to me? Will it really be that bad? Yeah. You know, and what's our forbidden fruit? I think it's a comfortable life. Right. I think that's something that is forbidden by scripture. It goes against our calling as ministers and God's call for us to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And, uh, and the way we get tempted is by turning away from scripture instead to our own thoughts of, well, would it be so bad? Do I have to live this way? And how Eve could have been brought back to clarity if she just repeated what God commanded. You must not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And how for us, 
we need to go back to the basic clarity of what God's word tells us uh, about the kind of life that we are to live. So, okay, so once Eve starts listening to the serpent, she looks at the tree in verse 6. Uh, she sees that the tree was good for food and that was it was delight to the eye. So, so far, so good, right? That is actually how God made the trees in the garden. So that matches reality. Then she also sees that it is desire to make one wise, which, you know, from our many Genesis 1 messages we've heard, uh, there's no way that a fruit can look like it can make you wise. And so she attributes this magical property to what's forbidden. And she starts imagining this magical awesomeness about the fruit that just does not match reality. And I think... I think we do this, you know, going back to our, our forbidden, for, forbidden fruit, that, right? A life of comfort. Uh, we yearn for a, a life of comfort and ease, and we begin to attribute like transcendent magical qualities to that kind of life. <laughs> it's not just that, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll have some free time if I scale back in ministry, and that would be nice. It's like emotionally, we feel like, oh man, that would be so awesome to have that kind of life. Oh, it would be so nice. I could do all these things I want, and I, I and we just imagine I'm gonna be so so happy, you know. And our, our imagination does that, mm. and you know this is the last move on Eve's part before she eats the fruit, right? And I think we need to be very careful about our thought life, how we imagine the awesomeness of what's forbidden, right? Because I think our imagination is something we can control. And I think we need to take notice when we're doing this, attributing things to a certain lifestyle or idol that that thing just does not have. Yeah, I think that's really true. And so we see here that Eve is someone who is deceived by the serpent and she actively sins against God by reaching out and grasping, taking the fruit for herself and then giving it to her husband. So then in contrast, you know, what is Adam doing in this passage? If you notice in verse 6, Eve gives the fruit to Adam who was nearby and he also ate it. So Adam also sinned against God. Yet I think the passivity and silence of Adam in this story is pretty troubling. Why didn't he point out to Eve the inaccuracy of the serpent's words? Um, We see that there is both this active sin of Eve and also this passivity in Adam that eventually led him to sin as well. And I think these verses really highlight sin that comes from being passive. Notice in verse 12, Adam ends up also blaming two people for his own sin. First, he blames God because God placed Eve there with him. And then he blames Eve for giving him the fruit. So we see that Adam takes it a step further by not only sinning, but also refusing to take responsibility for his own actions and Mm. instead blames others. I think this is a pretty sobering reminder to each of us that our passivity is not morally neutral. Passivity can easily lead to sin if we lack discernment and simply take what is given to us from the world around us or even from people who we happen to be close to. Yeah, so, you know, last points from verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... So this is not, you know, you you should listen to the voice of your wife when it's good, when it's according (laughs) to God's word. But Adam sinned because he listened to Eve as she offered him the fruit. Mm. I think the observation here is that we have to be careful when it comes to the closest relationship in our lives, that we are careful to know that when our friend and specifically in this passage, our spouse tells us something to that goes against God's word in some way. Mm. And I don't know why Adam didn't have a moment when he realized, wait, but God told us not to eat the fruit <laughs> I know. you know but i think with uh close relationships our guard can come down we can end up listening without discernment yeah so yep all right that's it all right bye-bye bye